0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Welcome back to the conversation. We're visiting with Bob Christopher the book Simple Gospel, Simply Grace How Your Christian Life is Really Supposed to Work. Let's talk a bit about this concept that you were sharing earlier that I think is an amazing one, and it will help us perhaps understand a bit more about the breadth and depth of God's love for us. Um, you talked about grace and sort of the first part idea that we see it as withholding punishment. It's an idea of something that is being kept from us. So we get the speeding ticket, but the judge decides to let us go, even though he knows, we know, yes, we broke the law, yes, we are deserving of this punishment, but regardless, The judge shows his, quote-unquote, grace and keeps the punishment from us. But the grace of God goes so much further than that, as you were suggesting before the break, Bob, because it's not just a matter of God keeping a rightly deserved punishment from us, but then it's what he gives to us in and through that.
2: Oh, absolutely. It It is Christ himself living in us. Uh, I've defined God's grace as this: God's work in Jesus Christ to make us spiritually alive and to power, empower us to live in this world as His children. So we we can't do that on our own, and that's that's where I missed it for so long, Craig. I I was trying to live out the the Christian life with the old adage, "Try harder." Every time I fell on my face, I'd get up and make promises to God and. You know, I would just give it my best shot, trying as hard as I could to live the Christian life. And the harder I I tried, the tighter sin's grip became in my life. And when I finally understood the grace of God as, as being more than merely a covering for the past, that's when the Christian life started to make sense. That's when I really discovered how it was supposed to work, Jesus Christ living his life in and through us. And I think that's what much of the Christian world misses, as far as the Gospel message is concerned.
1: Well, let's elaborate on this point for a moment. You, you mentioned, and I think rightfully so, the, the problematic viewpoint, which unfortunately in, in modern-day pop Christianity seems to be more and more prevalent, this idea of Christianity being a, like a self-help program or self-improvement program. We hear this kind of nonsense preached from the pulpit of, of Joel Osteen. Uh, it sounds to me oftentimes like an Anthony Robbins seminar without walking on hot coals, and, and you have to pay a it- of course, uh, or contribute to the uh, to the offering plate at some point during the service, but it it almost well it doesn't almost it outright cheapens grace and and turns what God is meaning to be this wonderful experience of as you suggest not just withholding punishment but then giving to us it it really short circuits and robs us of the fullness of His grace when we see it as just this sort of self and help or self improvement program.
2: Yeah. God doesn't want to make us better. He wants to make dead people alive in Christ. I mean, our our old way of life was empty. Uh, Peter uh, really nailed it in his first letter when he said that life that was handed down to us from our moms and dads is nothing but an empty life. Uh, You can slice it every way you, you can, and it still comes up empty. So God sent Jesus to put an end to that old life and to raise us up with him so we could walk in the newness of life. And that newness of life is a life lived by grace, through faith, in Jesus. Um, and, and we really have to learn to embrace that simplicity. And, and here's where the difficulty lies, Craig. Faith is a foreign concept to us until Christ comes in our lives. And then we start to discover what a life of faith is all about. So constantly from, you know, Genesis through Revelations, we see these reminders. Trust the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Those who put their confidence in the Lord. Those who believe the Lord. That's the one thing that God is looking for from us. A heart that believes him. And in that faith, all kinds of incredible things happen in our day-to-day lives.
1: But why is it that so often, Bob, we wind up getting bogged down in fear and in guilt, and it, it, it becomes, I, I think of, we see this every once in a while, some of these extreme sports programs on TV, and you watch these guys going water rafting, and all of a sudden they're heading down, and they think they're having the grand old time, and all of a sudden the, the torment of the water overcomes the, the raft and overcomes them. They might find themselves suddenly out of control and running off the edge like you're about to head, you know, right over the, the edge of the, I don't know, uh, Niagara Falls or something, and, and suddenly you become absolutely overwhelmed by fear and guilt, just like the guys get overwhelmed by the torrent of water when they get out of control. How, how, do, you, how do you go about extracting yourself from that when the flow of the current is so fast?
2: Well, Craig, that's a great uh, that's a great point, and and boy, a beautiful an- analogy there as far as fear in our lives. Um, you know, fear has to do with punishment. That's how John connected it in his his first letter, and he says, "Perfect love casts away that fear." And if we're really going to grow in grace and embrace this new life that we have in Christ, we first have to settle that forgiveness issue. We have to recognize that the blood of jesus actually did take away our sins once and for all um that is i think one of the most critical truths that that we need to latch on to and really take our stand upon and that's the fact that when we receive christ we receive forgiveness of sins um Paul said it twice, once in his book to the Ephesians, once in his letter to Colossians, that in him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So the question is, are you in Christ? And if you answer yes, then you can ask, well, what do you have according to these passages? Well, it says redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, the question that follows that is, do you really believe it? Do you really believe that right now, at this very moment, you have forgiveness of sins? And that becomes the real issue. If I struggle right there that 's when fear can take hold of my life
1: and we 're going to pause on that point when we come back. I want you to share with our listeners the uh, uh, binaka story I think it'll it 'll paint a nice picture that will ideally illustrate the challenge here, particularly in that sense where sometimes we struggle with the notion that his grace is insufficient for us because we see ourselves as being unworthy. And unlovable, and there's nothing worse when we end up getting caught. We'll come back to more of the conversation with Bob Christopher as this edition of Lifeline continues.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Simple Gospels, Simply Grace. Bob Christopher, my guest on this segment of Lifeline, and. Uh, Bob, as we talk about the struggles that we often have with this notion of uh, feeling unworthy, unlovable, sometimes uh, just feeling uncomfortable the fact that we feel this sense of fear and guilt, uh, you've got a great story in the book about uh, your experience as a young man uh, with um, Banaka, which I have to be honest with you, when I first saw it, I thought, oh, I remember that. I didn't even realize they still made it. <laughs> but tell us a bit about that story. I think it, it ideally helps illustrate this point.
2: Well, well, Craig, it, it was... Uh an experience in seventh or eighth grade, I got involved in a shoplifting gang, and we would go into drugstores, and, and we would just steal things, things that we didn't need. And one of those things that we stole quite often uh, was this little breath freshener spray called Banaka Well, one night, uh, Friday night, I spent the night with my friend David, and we went out and went to one of those stores, and we stole some Banaka and we stole a lock. Why? It just for the challenge of it, I guess. And, uh, so we came back home and, you know, I went home the next day and as, as things would have it, David's mom went into his room and started cleaning up and he, and, and she found the lock and she asked David, uh, where'd you get this? And, uh, he said, well, we stole it. And, you know, he just he just he just caved like any person would and uh you know, as moms do. Um, you know, she dug a little deeper and, and David told the whole story about, you know, Bob actually stole it and we got Banaka too and so she uh you know, tried to figure out what to do and then she picked up the phone and called my mom and uh that next Monday I was delivering papers. Uh I had skipped out on my band band rehearsal. I was a truant, so, you know, I'm a thief and a truant, and, uh, you know, mom's not real pleased with me, and, uh, she says, get in the car, and I'm like, no, it's a beautiful day, and finally she says, Banaka. and I was just done. I unraveled <laughs> right then and there, and knew I had been caught, and, you know, I could just imagine the punishment that was coming my way, and, uh, Mom and Dad decided they were going to take me back to every store that I had stolen something from, and I was going to get in front of the manager and confess what I had done, and they were going to leave my punishment in these managers' hands. And fortunately for me, they were lenient and just required that I pay back, uh, pay them the money for the things that I, I stole, which I did. Um, but that didn't relieve my guilt because I knew... You know, my sin held something with God. And at that point, I just walked on eggshells, wondering what God was going to do with me. I knew punishment was just around the corner. And that fear just overcame me in such a way that every time I sinned, I felt Jesus left me. And so I had this formula I'd confess, I would 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 ask God to forgive and then I would ask Christ to come back in my life. And I probably prayed five hundred different times during my teenage years for Jesus to come back and live in my life. Because I didn't know what he had actually accomplished through his death, burial, and resurrection. And finally I went to a Bible study and the teacher started explaining Colossians chapter two. When you were dead and your trans breath transpasses and sins. He made you alive together with Christ. He forgave all your sins. And that forgiveness just poured over me, just washed over me. And finally, I rested in the finished work of Jesus. And that fear of punishment went away because I knew Jesus had taken my punishment for me. And in exchange for that, he gave me his righteousness that's a pretty good deal. That's what grace is all about. God giving to us what we do not deserve. But because he loves us so much, he was willing to send Jesus to take our punishment for us so that we could stand in his presence as righteous as Jesus Christ himself.
1: Let's get to some calls. We're going to head over to uh, Lee in Palo Alto. Lee, come on in with your comment or question for Bob Christopher
3: that Banaka story was wonderful. I think uh, probably a lot of people could identify with it. I sure could. I remember beating myself up for years. But one thing that I wanted to ask, and I don't know how to ask it without sounding kind of like uh, expecting too much um, or, or it, putting a demand on God, which would be like a sin in of itself. Uh, but my question would be, when you know you're forgiven, when you know that it's finished, How do you um, somehow experience God's grace? And not like the everyday grace where we have our health, we have the sun, we have our needs and whatever. But God's unmerited favor on a day-to-day basis with Him actually walking with us. Um, I, I don't know... If I ask that right, I just—I'm yeah. not talking about well, salvation. I think I'm, I'm
2: following what you're saying there, uh, Lee. As as far as how we experience the grace of God, I, I think the first way we experience it is 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 by resting in His finished work. You know, mo- most of us are, are tense inside, we're anxious inside because we're not sure if God really loves us or not, or if God has forgiven us or not. And when we finally come to that point and recognize that the work has been finished, we experience this sense of rest uh inside of us, so that's the first way we experience it and then we experience it um, by the Word of God becoming strong in our lives and and us learning to say no to the temptations uh, of of this world and the temptations of sin. We recognize that. What the world has to offer is just empty. And so I think we see a a sense of victory in our lives as far as the world is concerned. And then I think the third way that we experience the grace of God is is by really getting to know the heart of the Father and learning to see the world through his eyes and people through his eyes. And we get so caught up on in morality and trying to make the world a better place, but God sees People's hearts, and he and he sees people in one of two ways: you either belong to him, or you're still lost and dead in sin. And when we see it from God's perspective, then our hearts start to melt, and we want to reach out with that gospel message. So the the grace just gives us, um, I, I think, deeper insight into the very heart uh, of of God the Father and what His love is all about for this world and the people that we shoulder uh, with every single day of our lives. Does that help, Lee?
3: Yeah, it does. It helps greatly. I I remember in the Old Testament where you had these people that poured out their hearts to God, like Hannah, who couldn't have the child, and and when she was in the temple with Eli, and and she just poured out her heart. And and God gave her the grace of answering that prayer. And I think the third one, because I, I know in my case, I, I know I'm saved and I'm in the Bible often and around other believers, but I want to see the, the, the Holy Spirit type, um, uh, how could I put it, like answer to prayer more than just in, in our area, maybe it's just this area. It seems like there's a lot of Christians, but we're kind of impotent
2: well i think you're I think you're right because um you know our greatest asset as far as believers are concerned is is a knowledge of God. We really know what God is like because jesus christ has has made that known to us, you know when we see Jesus, we see the Father, and so as we grow in our relationship with Jesus and as we grow in our knowledge of who He is. I think we're going to see our hearts melt toward the world in a way that we want to reach out and, and connect those people to the love of Christ just as we have been connected to the love of Christ. So just uh, just make it your prayer that, Lord, I want to grow in your grace. I want to grow in, in the knowledge of who you are. And I guarantee you, that's a prayer he will answer. And you will see that being answered in time.
3: Very helpful.
1: All right. We appreciate your call tonight, Lee. I guess part of this too is 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 the ongoing struggle that we have with the flesh, Bob. Um, we we at a level because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, recognize that we are in need of of forgiveness. Uh, we recognize that we have sinned and offended a holy and righteous God, and and yet it's difficult for us sometimes. Once having had His grace extended to us to fully accept that, embrace that, and I guess at certain levels, um, even learn uh, the concept of forgiving ourselves as much as God has forgiven us. I I got a kick in your book, you make reference in this, I think shows the the level at which mankind struggles with this, that Stanford University here in our backyard actually has something they call the Forgiveness Project.
2: Yes, yes, they do. And and they're trying to figure out if forgiveness is really an essential part of, of well-being and health and uh, you know normal relationships and they're discovering that that's that that's the case um, but but they spend a lot of time on this idea of forgiving ourselves and, and it's interesting when you when you scour the Word of God there there's no place there where God says you need to forgive yourself. What he does say is, stand firmly in the forgiveness that I've given you in Christ. And when you recognize that, then you're able to let go of the past. You're able to let go of those things that you've been dragging around in life for years and years and years. So when, when we stand firmly in what Christ has accomplished, that's when we can really... Forgive ourselves and let go of the past and fully embrace um, the resurrected Christ here and now.
1: Bob, we sure appreciate the time and the book, Simple Gospel, Simply Grace, how your Christian life is really supposed to work. The new book, by the way, published by Harvest House and available at Christian bookstores throughout the Bay Area as well as through Amazon.com and uh, Bob's website too, simplegospelsimplygrace.com. And there again is Bob Christopher, host of the call-in radio program Basic Gospel.
0: And now, back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: You know, you look at the headline news of the last, my goodness, six, eight months or so, and it just seems like no matter where you turn, we're seeing incidences of racial unrest, massacres in churches, economic imbalance, social strife, on and on the list goes. Hard sometimes, perhaps, to see hope and justice and reconciliation in the midst of this turmoil A lot of people, I think, have concluded that we're, if not in, we're certainly rapidly heading toward the end days. And meanwhile, we wonder, well, what does that mean for us from a faith perspective? How can we better find places in which not only God is working to bring about healing and restoration, but most importantly, feel as if the work, the job that we do is significant toward that end? Warren Smith joins us now, Vice President of World News Group, and perhaps you are a subscriber to his wildly popular World Magazine. He's authored more than 10 best-selling books, including the most recent, Restoring All Things, God's Audacious Plan to Change the World Through Everyday People. And Warren, great to have you on the program.
4: Great, great to be on with you. Thank you so
1: much. It is hard sometimes not to be discouraged. And just as we sort of uh, reach the point that we seemingly have processed the significance of yet another major negative news event, uh, sure as the sun will rise tomorrow, here comes one more. And I think for a lot of people, not only do you kind of get a sense that your your, your hope meter is, is wearing out in all of this, but that you're, you're wondering, well, where exactly is God in all of this? and And is there any hope in which I can play some kind of small role in engaging in some kind of significant, important change in our society today?
4: Well, you're exactly right, Craig, and, you know, you don't have to look any farther than the headlines. That's exactly right to see um, bad news. I mean, the Supreme Court rulings have been really discouraging to a lot of Christians. Uh, We see ISIS uh, just murdering Christians all over the Middle East. I mean, you're you're right. I mean, there's plenty of reason uh, to to say uh, that we live in serious times. But uh, we, uh, as Christians, are not allowed to despair. Despair is a sin. Uh, despair means we've given up hope. And, of course, Christians of all people should be people of hope. Uh, faith, hope, and love, Jesus, uh, or, or uh, uh, the Bible says, not Jesus per se, but the Bible says are the good, the three chief Christian virtues. And so that's one of the reasons why John Stone Street and I uh, wanted to write this book, Restoring All Things, because... As we have been looking out at the world at all these negative uh, stories, we've also been, been seeing something just quite remarkable, and that has been God's people doing God's work in the midst of all the chaos that's going on around us. And when God's people do that, when God's people it, it just don't get distracted and continue to engage in God's work, which is loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbors as ourselves, it's amazing what's happening. We've seen communities transformed. We've seen lives rebuilt. We've seen entire cities uh, transformed. It's, it's in the case of Atlanta or Detroit. Um, uh, Atlanta, an organization called SCS or the Ministries, and in Detroit, a ministry called Emmanuel Temple, which are two organizations that we profile and restoring all things. So we wanted to tell some of those stories because we felt like Christians did need some hope in the midst of these chaotic
1: times so at the end of the day is it less about the news events and more about perspective and I, and I asked that question because again you know, we were kids uh, we all were raised in school to uh, to master the three basic R's reading writing and arithmetic something always told me that one of those words at least was misspelled <laughs> <laughs> That's right. but from from a from a Christian perspective there's another set of three R's that I think we can't forget that in fact is foundational to our very faith which is what leads me to this question about perspective, and that is another set of three R's. Redemption, reconciliation, and restoration, which is foundational to God's plan for not only mankind here on earth, but certainly the role that that, uh, that Christ played in world history.
4: Yeah, well, that, that's exactly right. You know, in fact, I'm glad you brought up those three R's, because there are, in fact, many more than those three R's in Scripture. We, in fact, we begin, near the beginning of the book, we talk about the rewords of Scripture, and you've mentioned three of them uh, there. Uh, too often, however, Christians focus on another set of R's, which are words like rebuke, and resist, and uh, engage in those activities that um, are trying to hold back the tide of chaos whereas uh, i think if we focus more on the three r's that you mentioned r's like reconciliation and restoration and redemption uh we we become people who um, not only are actively engaged in the work that god is calling us to do this this activity of of restoring all things to himself but we are also presenting a witness to the world that i think they will find compelling you know it's it's one thing um to say that Jesus saves, and Jesus uh, transforms, and Jesus redeems. But if our lives don't show that, Craig, that argument is not convincing. That declaration of the gospel, however true, is not convincing. But whenever we are actively engaged in the process of reconciliation, not only are we declaring the gospel, but we are demonstrating the gospel in our lives. And I think that's a much more convincing proclamation of the gospel.
1: Well, in many respects, too, don't we find that message uh, far more impactful in the middle of chaos? And and I ask that question because, you know, let's use the example of the lives of any of us. If we pause for a moment and think, you know, if if you were doing well, you married the perfect wife or husband, you had the perfect job, you had the perfect amount of money in the bank, you had perfect health, uh, all of it a lot of people could argue, well, you know, for what do I really need God here, at least on Earth? I mean, yeah, that fire insurance thing on the other side, yeah, that works out okay. But here, in the here and now, I'm doing pretty well. But for most of us, our testimony is that in the midst of the pain, the agony, the chaos, when our life seemed to be falling apart uh, right before our eyes, there stepped in God with a message of healing and reconciliation and redemption. And so oftentimes, doesn't God work best in the middle of the chaos that sometimes we as Christians try to push back against and prevent from happening? And I wonder if sometimes we might accidentally be short circuiting God's plan because in the midst of that chaos, doesn't His grace shine the brightest?
4: Well, I, all I can say to that, Craig, is amen and well said. Uh, you know, and in, in, in throughout history, I think not only in our individual lives, which you've just identified, but throughout history, we have found the Christian church thriving whenever the world around it was in chaos. We tell stories, for example, uh, from the second and third century, whenever the great plagues um, uh, diseases were just just ravaging cities, and people were running out of the cities uh, into the rural areas just to keep themselves away from danger and disease, but it was the Christians who ran into the cities to care for the sick and the dying, many times sacrificing their own lives in that process. But it was such a powerful witness that we saw Christianity spread dramatically in the second and third centuries. Uh, even recently, in the Ebola epidemic that we saw in Africa, uh, I was amazed at the doctors that, were, that um, got Ebola and that were put into the quarantine and a couple of them even died as a result of their work there. And whenever I found out about their biographies, one doctor after another, one healthcare worker after another were committed Christians working in that environment because they were motivated by love of Christ and love for their neighbor. So this has been the story of the Christian Church. I think it's a story that we sometimes do tend to forget in our prosperity here in America, but uh, it's one that we need to remember.
1: Well, especially since at the core, as we talk about this from the the viewpoint of it being a message of redemption, it suggests that there needs to be something from which one is being redeemed, does it not? I mean, yeah, is absolutely. is the is the message of heaven all that powerful? A one uh, absence the existence of hell. I I would I would suggest probably not.
4: Yeah, I think that's right. You know, the great theologian F. F. Bruce Bruce once said that uh, the, an, an understanding of sin is the beginning of salvation, and uh, you know it's important that we do um, understand that we're all sinners in need of a savior, and it's it's also also easy for us Christians to get a little self-righteous about where we sit versus our neighbor but you know our neighbor Jesus died for our neighbors even the one the neighbor that we don't like you know just as much as Jesus died for us so i think that um, you know what you just said there is such a powerful component of this whole uh, understanding of a christian worldview which is that we do live in a fallen world but that god loves us so much that he sent his son and when we accept Him as Savior and are redeemed from our own sins, we get to participate with Him in this process that uh, the New Testament describes as restoring all things uh, to its former glory. You
1: no, know, I, I wonder out loud if sometimes maybe this is not a, an example of um, spiritual laziness, maybe even a little bit of spiritual haughtiness, um, that sense of... Reveling in the bunker mentality that, well, everybody's against me, woe is me, look the way that they're attacking me. And so uh, we're doing uh, perhaps a yeoman's job at playing the victim here. Um, and so maybe some people sort of revel in all of that, as opposed to saying, look, in the midst of all this turmoil, we got some work to do. And uh, in the midst of this turmoil... God can do some amazing things in terms of extending that message of redemption, reconciliation, and restoration in and through me. We'll talk about that as our conversation continues. Warren Smith, vice president of World's News Group, publisher of World Magazine, author of more than a dozen best-selling books. We're talking about uh, finding God's redemption in the midst of a chaotic world. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues.
0: And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts.
1: Warren Smith, our guest today, vice president of World News Group. He publishes World Magazine. He's the author of more than 10 best-selling books, including the most newly released, Restoring All Things, God's Audacious Plan to Change the World Through Everyday People. And maybe one of the big operative words in that book title, Warren, is everyday people. We look, as we intimated at the beginning of our conversation, at the headlines and what's going on in terms of racial unrest economic imbalance social strife all of this taking place it's it's hard obviously uh, and frustrating for a lot of people and then to maybe overwhelming in the sense that people feel as if well you know they'd like to be involved in being an agent of change and and affecting god's plan for uh, redemption reconciliation and restoration but maybe they feel like well as overwhelming as all this is though isn't my work largely going to be for naught and, and and ultimately insignificant
4: well, you know, it's a really great question, and that's why we wanted to tell stories of everyday people, as you said, uh, Craig. You know, uh, John Stone Street, uh my co-author, uh, works a lot with Eric Metaxas uh, on the Breakpoint Radio uh, program. Eric has written books, uh, uh, biographies of Dietrich Bonhoeffer and William Wilberforce, who ended the slave trade uh, in Britain in the 19th century. And it's easy to look at these great heroes of history and say, Gee, I'm just little old Warren Smith. You know, I'm not uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer or, or um, Eric Metaxas even. Uh, so what can I do? And what we discovered in in our searching around for stories and the stories that we reported in the book uh, were stories of of individuals not doing great things. But doing small but really important things that had an impact over time. I'll give you a real quick example. And that is, look at the life movement in this country, the pro life movement in this country. Um, Roe v. Wade happened in 1973, 1.3, 1.4 million abortions in this country per year at the peak, back a number of years ago. But what we, what has turned the tide, if you, today, abortions, the number of abortions are going down. The younger generation is more pro-life than its parents. That's what public opinion surveys tell us. How did that happen? And and a part of the reason uh, it happened was because of the pregnancy care center movement in this country. In thousands of communities all across America, uh, men and women have gotten together just to help other men and women in their local communities. Uh, This movement has sprung up spontaneously. It wasn't Uh, a top-down movement. There wasn't somebody in Washington, D.C. or New York City or wherever saying, we we need to go... Uh, form 2,000 pregnancy care centers all across America. And yet when we look, you know, 20 or 25 years after that movement started, that's exactly what we, what we have. It's, it's Christians imitating other Christians doing good work, which has caused the pregnancy care center movement to spread across this country and has created what we like to call this army of compassion that, that says to the world, you know, Christians are willing to put their money where their mouth is. Yes, they uh, they are engaged in pro-life activism. They are in, maybe engaged even in protests from time to time, but that's not all they do. They are also really caring uh, for men and women in crisis situations every single day in thousands of communities across America. It's made a huge difference in the life uh, issue in this country, and I think— that kind of a movement could make a difference with poverty, it could make a difference with marriage, uh, and uh, we, the good news is we do have that one model. Uh, the other news, I won't call it bad news, but I'll call it the other news, is that we still have a whole lot of work to do.
1: Well, and you know what strikes me about even that example that you just shared, Warren, um, many people have often heard the story that from space, one of the more spectacular man-made um, edifices or, or uh, items that can be seen from space is the Great Wall of China. And and it is from photographs that perhaps you've seen, an amazing sight to behold from so many miles up. And there you can very clearly make out the wall, snaking its way uh, through that section of China. What's ironic about this, uh, that is, having seen the wall, been on it, walked on it, uh, it it is enormous, it is breathtaking, it is an incredible uh, work of of feat to be sure. But you know what it's made up of? Individual small bricks. Yep. Any one of those bricks, by and of themselves, would not even be a speck on planet Earth that could be identified from space. But all of those bricks assembled together... Creates this incredible edifice that has such an Im- impact that it can be seen from space, and it, and it 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 dawns on me, Warren, that much the same is true of our efforts here. That you know, none of us singularly are going to calm racial unrest, or uh, you know, bring about uh, fairness in in economics, or uh, settle social strife of an, uh, singularly on our own, but together. Doing a lot of small things together can really equal doing something great and tremendous that can have unbelievably large and eternal impact. Can it?
4: Well, that's exactly right. And you know, the thing that we do doesn't even have to require a lot of time, money, and energy. At the end of restoring all things, both John Stone Street and I tell a story out of our own lives that kind of make the point of the book. John tells a remarkable story of when he was a high in high school. Uh, he uh, had it, it really because he'd been cutting up in school. His teacher made him visit an older woman, a, what we used to call a shut-in, uh, and uh, as punishment for cutting up in class. But so John visited this woman who at that time was in uh, probably seemed ancient to John was in her seventies or even early eighties, and they just spent thirty minutes together, maybe an hour together. And John saw this woman a couple of years later, and and John said, Do you remember who I am? And the woman said, I have been praying for you every day since we first met. And that just, the woman's praying for him and then telling John that she had been doing that, that she cared enough about him to to pray for him every day. John will tell you today that that changed the trajectory of his life. In my own life, I've got a story of my father who served in Korea. He was not a Christian believer whenever he was a 21-year-old infantryman on Heartbreak Ridge in Korea. But a Salvation Army worker whose name my father does not know, whose name is completely lost to history, uh, ministered to my father at a time of great need in his life. My father didn't become a Christian until 10 or 15 years later. But he always remembers the the act of compassion by this unnamed Salvation Army worker having been a defining experience in his life in leading him ultimately to Christ, which, of course, changed the trajectory of my life and my children's lives. We don't know how God is going to use our availability. Uh, It's not about our ability, as the old saying goes, but it truly is about our availability, our job, our goal. Our responsibility is just to be obedient and to let the Holy Spirit work from there. And I I think that uh, great things will happen. In the world Absolutely.
1: Of and, of course, through that act of obedience, uh, Warren, can come uh, God executing on his plan for redemption, reconciliation, and restoration. Warren Smith, again, the book is called... Restoring All Things, God's audacious plan to change the world through everyday people. Newly released by Baker Books and available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, Amazon.com, and also through their website at restoringallthings.org. That's restoringallthings.org. And Our thanks to Warren Smith for being with us on this segment of Lifeline.